Hello, and welcome to the AgriFood Safety Produce Bites podcast, where we discuss all things produce safety and dive into the rules and regulations surrounding the Food Safety Modernization Act Produce Safety Rule. My name is Clarence Price, born and raised uh, in the city of Highland Park. I call Highland Park the capital of Detroit because it's surrounded by Detroit on all sides. I'm currently serving as executive director with Angry Farms with a focus on education. Hi, my name is Micah Hutchison, and I am the produce safety technician at the Genesee Conservation District, and I work with growers in Southeast Michigan on the implementation of the FISMA produce safety rule. So Clarence, I am so excited to talk to you today um, and learn about Pingree Farms. Can you first tell us about Pingree Farms and what you do, what it has to offer? Sure. So uh, Pingree Farms was launched back in maybe 2013 as a as a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but it was definitely a mistake. Really? Uh, it sits on the campus of Milton Manufacturing. Milton Manufacturing is a government fabricator that fabricates all different types of winches, brackets, everything you can think of that a government vehicle would need. Milton manufactures these things. During the time of 2013, the area where Pingree is located was very blighted, burned down parcels, vacant parcels. So you had Jim and Shelly Green, who are the owners of Milton Manufacturing. They were bringing their customer base to their factory, but directly across from it were these blighted parcels that didn't reflect well on the community. So they came up with the plan to uh, start demolishing the properties themselves with the thought of improving the neighborhood. So they started demolishing the properties. As they demolished the properties, now you had to cut the grass. So the person responsible for cutting the grass was Jim Green Jr., the grass became such a task that Jim Green Jr. came up with the solution. He said, maybe we should just plant a garden rather than having to cut all this grass. Of course, anybody with a, with a, with a real garden knows that <laughs> a garden requires way more work than grass. Way more work. <laughs> so that's why I always say it started as a, uh, as a mistake because he didn't know what he was recommending. And so and from that, 15 acres of garden was planted and uh, has been producing annually about 15,000 pounds of fresh produce. Wow. Definitely. It's definitely a a wow moment. (laughs) So on top of the garden, at one point, Jim Green always tells a story about how he wanted his children to have better responsibilities. So he went out, he purchased a couple cows, and at their home in Troy, he put these cows on their land. You can't have cows in Troy. <laughs> so they found out uh, that this man had cows at his house. He had to move them. So as it was time to move them, he came up with the bright idea that he would hide them down at his industrial complex, Milton Manufacturing. Takes the cows down to Milton. They stay down there for X amount of months, and then the community finds out. They said that he was hoarding animals, and so the city started leveraging all these tickets. He still has the tickets that the judge was accusing him of being malicious with his hoarding of animals. 
But the city came and decided to work with him and partnered with him to uh, as long as it was for educational use and we were partnered with educational facility, they would allow him to keep these animals. And so from there, Pingree Farms was definitely born. So we currently have uh, 25 acres. And then we also now host eight different animals. And so the animals are used in support of our 4-H program. So in the in the inner city of Detroit, instead of students having to try to lease or rent animals on their own, they can join the Pingree 4-H program and all of our members show their animals for free. That is so cool. So Pingree Farms, what are the links with the history of agriculture in Detroit? Directly tied to uh, the history of the agriculture in Detroit. So if you're familiar, are you all familiar with Mayor Pingree? I am, but could you tell us more so anyone who's listening to the podcast can understand what Pingree did? Go ahead. Tell me your tell me your, your Pingree stories. So I I went to college in Detroit and he was the potato mayor, am I right? Potato mayor, yep, yeah, they called him the potato mayor. So can you tell us why they called him the potato mayor? So ultimately they say that that Mayor Pingree was the first urban farmer. That's what my research has said. And so Jim Green, they called him Farmer Green as a kid because he desired so much to be a farmer. And so also with the history of manufacturing and farming, Henry Ford was a devout, devout believer that manufacturing and farming go hand in hand. And so Mayor Hazen Pingree, he was big on how to be able to feed people. And so when he became mayor, it was during that depression of 1893. And so he came up and he, he decided that uh, we would use vacant land, vacant community land for growing food. And so from my understanding, that's where they they, they, they termed him the, the potato patch, the potato patch pingree or the potato patch mayor. Yeah, he was always a legend when I was at Edible Flint of really being that first person advocating for urban agriculture. Yeah. And so that, for me, that was, uh, that was definitely enlightening to learn that so far back that there was somebody that had the thought process that, Hey, we've got to be able to utilize this land for something more than being vacant. And so to see where Detroit is right now with leading the industry in urban farming, I've been meeting so many people that come here just to see, and ask questions about how we have so many urban farms that's popping up. So the name Pingree is directly tied to the history of Mayor Pingree. And and again, so this I'm not I'm not traditionally a farmer. Uh, my family came to Michigan, came to Highland Park actually from Birmingham and Mississippi in 1955. We still own the family house, but in Tuskegee, where my family is originally from, we currently have a 30-acre farm that's still in production. So for me, taking on this role without knowing this history, and like I've just recently learned the connection with Pingree and Mayor Pingree and him being the first urban farmer who, who made it okay. So to see, to fast forward to now, to see what's happening in Detroit and to know that we've always had this manufacturing and agriculture connection is definitely enlightening as well. I love what you're saying. And I think that you 
bring up like the natural benefits of like urban agriculture and agriculture in industrial spaces. Um, can you talk more about the benefits of urban agriculture and like that urban market gardening experience, what it brings to a community, how it aids the community? Definitely. So the urban ag space is important because what I've been seeing and learning and just this, this journey is that a large farmer suggested to me that it's not wise to realize that a community needs food and instead of taking the garden to them, what we traditionally do is we realize somebody lacks food. We're going to try to buy a truck and ship it to them. Whereas this farmer suggested that we should be more on educating people to be able to set up more small scale farming in communities. So the support for that comes from Tillers International. Tillers International is a ag education facility in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. And at Tillers International, they teach 1,800 and 1,900 farming practices. So you can go there and learn broom making. You can go there and see the draft horses, plowing fields, all these skills that we've gone away from. Wow. And so you see these skills and you, you see what we no longer uh, are capable of, 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 of doing ourselves. I grew up with great aunts who could preserve peaches and things like that because it was a means of survival and it was a means of education that wasn't passed on to us. And so also at Tillers International, they do a, a big outreach program in Mozambique where they go over to Africa and they help to teach these 1800, 1900 farming practices. And the statistic that they said from Mozambique was that 94% of the population is fed through small-scale farms. Wow. Yeah, so that, that really put into perspective for me because, of course, we know that food security is an issue. Yes. So food security and national security go hand-in-hand hand because if people don't eat, we all in trouble. And so to see the opportunity and to learn the connection of how many people in the city are on the thought processes to how do we feed people? How are we going to be able to sustain ourselves? How are we going to be able to make sure that we don't go hungry? And so that benefit of being able to not, not one person saying, all right, I'm going to dominate a bigger farm, but <laughs> a bigger farm saying, how can I teach more people to better utilize the space that they have? If nothing else, everybody should have some type of, of, of self-sufficient gardening going on to be able to be confident and know that you'll be okay. I think that's really, really important. I know that like in Flint, we talk about a lot in our food systems conversations, how our community and ourselves are about one to two gen or two or three generations now away from um, working in the land from having those household gardens like you, my family is from the South. We had farming land. Unfortunately, it was sold in about the fifties and sixties, but like our, our cultures, our black farming traditions have been lost through our migration northwards. Do you see a lot of benefits working with the community on getting back to those traditional land experiences is kind of healing it's kind of healing 
Mm-hmm. I definitely believe that uh, it's healing and being able to first understand where your food is coming from. And secondly, being able to grow and cultivate your own food. It's been such a terrible stigma placed upon farming because, of course, you know, it's 400 years of indentured servitude going on with farming. So quite naturally, the, the, the psychological pain that's been passed down, the psychological trauma that's been passed down from generation to generation of that. But prior to that, there was an experience of farming where we were experts at agriculture. And so to learn the other side of that, to learn the, the, the further back history of agriculture and people, for me, it's been an experience that I never would have assumed that I would be in the role that I'm in. I never would assume that I would uh, be so such an advocate of youth and food and agriculture until I was educated. And so now that I'm educated, I can better see the, the benefits because just meeting people like you all who are who are committed to the mission, who are very knowledgeable in what's happening in food, helps me to better now when I'm at Pingree. And I have students that I can say, I can point you into, I can point you in the direction of an expert who can tell you better than I. And so that benefit alone of being able to start that connection to large-scale farmers down to the youth who need this education sooner than I did. Uh, I didn't start taking food and farming serious to a year and a half ago. And so now I feel like it's my responsibility to be able to connect connect these two worlds. Like, now nah, you, sh- you all shouldn't be talking to me today. You all should be talking to the 4-H leader who runs the garden program or something like that. So ideally, that's my focus as to how can we get the youth to take over and be as committed as we all are. Absolutely. Um, If we're not training tomorrow's leaders today, how will we still be able to have the same systems in place? I know there's a lot of concerns, but can you talk about the role of food safety in the evolution of Pingree Farms? Food safety and evolution of Pingree Farms is probably the the number one priority as far as growth and going forward. Awesome. Food safety at Pingree, when I first started, it wasn't like now that I've been able to go to multiple farms, see different practices that are happening. In my opinion, one year ago, food safety and what we were doing, we would say we were food safe, but the practices, they just weren't there. So now stepping into the role and seeing other experts and how, what compost we're using, if we're fertilizing, how we're cleaning our our harvest buckets, how we're storing the produce, just seeing these things and and realizing the importance. Previously, I didn't know that they say that your your, your store-bought produce touches 13 hands prior to reaching your mouth, at minimum 13 hands. So now as you start to better realize that, I start to understand the importance of our harvest processes or our planting processes. And so the food safety is such an important aspect because it's literally why we're doing what we do. I'm a firm believer that gut health and mental health are intercorrelated. So how 
going forward, Pingree is able to be able to create that safe space of planting, safe space of harvesting, safe space of preserving, and safe space of distributing is what we should be known for going forward. You should definitely be able to track and know exactly how all of our processes are being ran and, and that we're up to standard. That's awesome. I love the philosophy and I love the connection of gut health and mental health. And also that you're thinking about food safety in all aspects of the farm from soil to transportation. And I just want to say, if you need any help, I'm always here to show up on the farm, to walk through your processes, to give input, to create an action plan. Micah, I need all of that. (laughs) I thank you all for taking this time just to sit and discuss because it's definitely the outreach from those of you who that continue to do this to reach out and say, I'll let me know, I'll pull up. That's been that's always the response I've got from all agriculture people. I will always walk away with that feeling like we're on the right path. It's a beautiful community. It is a beautiful community across the state. And there are so many wonderful people to learn from. Definitely. And Thank you so much for talking to us today. I feel like I learned so much. I appreciate you all, most definitely. And I will love to meet up soon. I will email you and come out to the farm. Let's talk about produce safety. Please, let's set that up. We currently have, uh, we're launching a summer enrichment program that kicks off July 5th. We'll have 20 youth on site four days a week, five hours. And so they'll be paid through the Grow Detroit Young Talent Program. And so they'll come over and we'll take them through. We'll have garden duties, barn duties. Some of them will be able to work in the office. And we'll just have an assortment of activities where they'll be working, but they'll be coming over and they'll be learning and going through some of our pilot programs that we've been launching. So it's definitely a ton of opportunity for you to come over and see some great things. Links to anything referenced in this episode are provided in our show notes, which can be accessed on the website at canr.msu.edu slash agrifood underscore safety. Thank you to everyone for listening. And don't forget to tune in next month for another episode of our Produce Bites podcast.